along for the for the message tonight because farther along we'll understand all about it and uh, we'll know a whole lot more and uh, we'll, we'll understand everything perfectly. And I hope you know that as you live on this earth, not, not just that we look forward to getting to heaven to understand all of it, uh, but you know, just even being here on this earth that we would grow and constantly learn. And I know in my life I, I constantly grow and learn and I appreciate just uh, learning more about the Word of God and studying and growing, and uh, certainly that's a good thing. Revelation chapter number 6, let's just read a couple verses here to get started, and uh, we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll go back and kind of review a little bit of where we were, where we were, where we have been, and, uh, and so Revelation chapter number 6 and verse number 1, and the Bible says, And I saw the Lamb... And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw and beheld a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Let's stop right there and let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to be gathered in your house around your word. God, I pray that you would use me. God, I pray that you would speak to hearts as only you can. And Father, as we look at all of these uh, prophecies that are to come and, and future things, God, I pray that you would again open our hearts, open our minds, give us a, a, a glimpse and an understanding, Father, of what your word says. And God, we'll certainly thank you for that. And we'll give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. As we look at this, uh, I thought it'd be good to go back and just kind of refresh, and we're going to get into Revelation chapter 6, but it is definitely a, uh, a new divide. And so uh, Revelation chapter number 1, uh, go back there with me and just look with me, just page back a few pages and look at verse number 1. And I, and I remember preaching this, the revelation of Jesus Christ, verse number 1, Revelation 1, 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. And you'll remember that we talked about the book of Revelation is that a revelation of who Jesus Christ is, and that's throughout the entire book. Uh, and so we'll certainly see that uh, as we go through these, these chapters. But then you'll notice there in verse number 4, uh, the Bible says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Uh, and then we have those messages that are written to those churches. We took quite a lengthy time, uh, probably more time than I anticipated, to be honest with you, and went through each one of those churches. And I, I firmly believe that those, are, uh, those were literal churches in Asia that John wrote to. Uh, and those were things that were given for them. And, uh, and certainly they were little ch literal churches, uh, but then they also represent a period of time. Uh, we see that as well. We didn't really focus 
on that, but I think as well they can represent a type of church as well. Uh, and all of those churches can exist today, uh, churches that are persecuted, churches that are Laodicean. We hear, we hear a lot talked about that. And churches that are, uh, some of them, like the one uh, was barely hanging on and he encouraged them, hey, uh, those things that, are, that you do have, bolster and, and make them alive and hang on to them. And uh, all of those messages were given to those churches. And then we stepped into Revelation chapter number 4. And when you step into Revelation chapter 4, verse number 1, the Bible says this, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter." Because those messages to the churches there through chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 were literal churches. And then in chapter 4 we see a division and we, hear the, uh, we see the sound of a trumpet, the Bible says, and a voice that says, come up hither. Uh, and I believe that is the church. Those are those who are saved, being raptured out of this world and being taken to heaven. And, uh, and, and we don't see the word church really used throughout the book of Revelation, uh, except for maybe the last few chapters there. But, uh, but really, it's contained in the first part. Uh, and the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, you don't have to turn there, but you can note it down. It says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. It's important to note in that First Thessalonians passage that Jesus Christ does not come all the way to the earth. But rather, he's there in the clouds. And there's that sounding, uh, and that is uh, not to be confused with his second coming. Uh, and so sometimes we re reference that as the second coming. It's not really the second coming. The second coming would be the time when Jesus physically comes to the world. And that's why it's important to distinguish. So that's kind of uh, the rapture or uh, when, when those who are saved, as the Bible says, uh, and those who have, are, are already dead, they'll be resurrected and, and brought up to heaven. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet them in the air, the Bible says. And uh, again, what a day to look forward to. And, and I stress this and I emphasize this to say, hey, we're gone. Okay, sometimes people look at Revelation and they look at the death, they look at the destruction and it, and it terrorizes them. Um, and listen, we don't have to be fearful because we're out of here. Uh, if we know the Lord as our, precious, or as our own personal Savior, then we are pulled out of here and we do not have to fear those things which come. And so Revelation chapter 4 then is a scene that takes place in heaven and, uh, and it is uh, a complete worship of Jesus Christ. We talked about how the throne was described and how Jesus was worshipped because He is the Creator. And, uh, and then in chapter 5... 
we see that same fold described, or that same scene described a little more detail. And, uh, and we have Jesus again described as the Lamb and the Lion of Judah. And those things take place there in heaven, and, uh, and they're worshiping the Lamb. Now, in chapter 6, uh, we open up, and it says there in verse number 6, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. You'll remember in chapter 5 that John was upset. He was weeping. He said, uh, there, was a, there was a book in heaven in the throne of the hand of God. Well, it's in chapter 5 and verse number 1. It says this, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And uh, if you'll remember that passage, you'll remember John wept because there was no man found worthy to open that book. And then we find that the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ Himself, is worthy to open the book. And He takes that book, and we find now in chapter 6, in verse number 1, it says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of four beasts saying, Come and see. And I'm just going to, I'm pointing out some of this stuff, and, and, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know what all of it means, but we're going to look at it and just kind of try and wrap our heads around it and understand what we can. And I want to point out just a few things. One of the things I want you to notice is that there were four beasts that were described in Revelation chapter 4 that were kind of around the throne. We don't know exactly uh, if they were on the four corners. We don't know where they closed, where they out a little bit. They were just there. And I want you to notice that as we go through these seals, that all four of those beasts uh, say to John, come and see. And so one each turn. And so here we have one of those four beasts saying in verse number one, come and see. In verse number two, it shows what did he see? It says <clears throat> in verse number two, and I saw and behold a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him and he went forth conquering to conquer. I want, let me just say this because I had this down, I didn't cover it, but, uh, but I want you to notice that it is the lamb that would be Jesus Christ that is opening these seals. And as we read through these seals, understand this, that uh, uh, the judgment uh, that is unleashed on this, wor on this world uh, comes directly from God and from Jesus Christ himself. And I say that to say this, the devil and his angels and all of the wickedness that takes place in this world are, are, uh, do not move and do not do anything without the express permission of Jesus Christ. And so we'll see that. Uh, what's, what am I saying? I'm saying that Jesus has all authority and all power and all ability. Uh, and you'll see that as we go through, it will say it was given unto him and he was uh, allowed to do this. Where does that come from? It comes from he that holds the book that is worthy to open those seals because he is the all powerful God. And we see that uh, demonstrated throughout this passage in just his ability to open these seals and, and allow this uh, to take place. So look with me in, in chapter six and verse number two. And I want you to see this. The Bible says, And I saw and beheld, 
a white horse. So the first seal is a white horse. And that seal, uh, as you think about it, you think, well, white horse. I know I watched Westerns when I was a kid. And all the good guys rode the white horses. They had the white hats. Uh, that was the good guys. But this guy's not a good guy. Matter of fact, uh, he is a bad guy. Uh, as we look at it, he is the Antichrist. And as we think about that, uh, we see this white horse. It's not to be confused with the white horse in Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 11 that says, And I saw the heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. That's Jesus Christ. The Bible's very clear about that. It gives him the names and says he's the faithful, he's the true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. And so this white horse is not Jesus Christ, uh, but I believe it is the Antichrist. And notice what he comes, uh, he's going to come, kind of, if I can say it this way, I got air quotes, as the Savior of the world. You imagine what's going to take place after the rapture. Um, I, I've often, you know, if you've, if you've watched movies, uh, you've watched the second coming and, and things like that or whatever, where they kind of illustrate it, we really don't know what it's going to be like. But can you imagine the media, the hysteria and the fear that they're going to propagate when, when I don't know, thousands, maybe millions of people just disappear off of this world at the blink of an eye? And they don't know where they're at. And the missing people reports that are going to be filled out. And, and the people that don't show up to work. And, and how things are not going to function. And what kind of chaos and what kind of mess that's going to leave behind. And so that takes place. And then we have this Antichrist coming in on a white horse as a good guy saying, Man, we need to unite the world. We are, up, I mean, you can almost hear them speaking. Hey, we are up against something that we don't know what's out there. Certain, I mean, with today, with the whole aliens thing and all the uh, sci-fi and the imagination of that, uh, man, you can just hear them putting together this whole idea that, hey, we're being attacked by aliens and that we, as the world, we have got to unite because if we're going to survive as a human race, then we all have to be under one government. We all have to join together so that this world can fight off what is out there. And the sad thing is true. They are fighting what is out there, but what is out there is God. They don't realize that. And so uh, can you imagine this man is going to come in on this white horse and, uh, and, and he, is going, uh, he is going to uh, really try and cause unity and, and draw people together. You see the idea of the white horse. And let me mention this. I've mentioned it before, but the devil is a great intimid, um, imitator. In other words, man, he copies what God does. Uh, you, if God has a trinity, so the devil has an unholy trinity. Uh, the, God has a number, and so the devil has a number. Uh, Jesus rides on a, a white horse towards the end, and, and listen, so listen, the Antichrist is going to come in on a white horse so that he can look like and act like and try and replicate what God is going to do so that people everywhere are going to be deceived. They're not going to know what's going on. Listen, saved people are not going to be here. We're going to be gone. We're going to be pulled out of here. 
And so uh, they'll be left. I want you to notice he has a, uh, a white horse. And so we talked about that. And it kind of symbolizes the peace and, and the unity that he's trying to draw. Uh, he has a bow. I want you to notice that. But no mention of arrows. Uh, and, and probably his victory and the conquering that he does is with smooth words. He just knows how to talk. He knows how to win people over. And, uh, and so you can see that. I want you to notice as well uh, in verse number two, and a crown was given unto him. In other words, that he could be of, uh, considered royal. And they're going to look at him as a leader. They're going to say, wow, this guy, you know, uh, he's somebody we need to listen to. And, and I don't know that he will be the world leader or if he will just propagate it and set it up. Uh, but nonetheless, he will be involved and he will go forth and he's going to be conquering. You can see how the stage would be easily set. It would be a place that he would uh, walk in and it would be easy for him uh, with, with the power that is given him to be able to do all of those things. So we have that first seal is that white horse. Look with me in verse number three. We find there the Bible says, and when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red and power Watch this, was given to him. Notice that because uh, he does not have the power except for uh, that, that God would allow it to take place. And so power was given him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And so we find here a red horse, the first horse on the first seal was a white horse, and it kind of symbolized peace, and it symbolized a, a unity in the world that would try to take place. And the second horse is the uh, a red horse, and very clearly uh, we can see that it is a war, and red red kind of stands for raging. You know, you think of the bull and the bullfighter, and uh, and that raging anger, and that fierce war, and battle, and blood, and and all of that that goes together in this red horse. Now I want you to notice, uh, as I pointed out, that power was given unto him. And what was that power? Well, look with me again in verse number four. And it says, uh, that power was given unto him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. In other words, the first horse came through kind of established peace and kind of established unity and, and brought things together. But then the second horse, uh, the second seal is broken and the red horse comes forth and now he's here to destroy that peace. And there's war that takes place. And I don't know if it's jealousies. I don't know if it's a rebellion against the uh, world unity. I don't know how exactly it's going to take place. But nonetheless, uh, there's going to be uh, war that is set up. And I want you to notice this in verse number uh, four as well. And there was given unto him a great sword. I want you to notice that that is not the word of God that is the sword. Uh, it is a war sword. Uh, it's called here a great sword. In Revelation chapter number 19, again describing uh, Jesus and that white horse, uh, it goes on in verse number 15 and it says this, Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that he 
uh, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress, and fierceness of wrath of Almighty God. That's two distinct things that are going on there. And so we find that, uh, that this is not the sword of God. Uh, it is not the word of God that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's just a great sword that causes war on this earth. And so we see a red horse, and it's set up to destroy and, and take peace away from this world. And, uh, and that's one of the next things as, uh, that takes place. I want you to notice, let's go to the third seal. And, and you'll notice that these kind of progress and they fall in order fairly easily. Verse number 5, the Bible says, And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and, and the wine. And so we find that that third seal is a black horse. You say, well, what's that black horse? Well, uh, black is often thought of as famine and in bad times. And, uh, and the balances, as we look at that, uh, we don't really know much about balances today. A balance, uh, well, if you went to Sunday school, you probably do. If you had the boys and girls offering, I grew up with that, all right? And uh, we, didn't want them, we didn't want them stinking girls to win. And the girls didn't want them stinking boys to win, all right? And, and so we'd bring our pennies and try and load those balances so, so that we had more money in ours than they had in them. Well, balances are simply used in markets to measure out the fair amount. And sometimes in Bible times, they would be used to measure out the amount of money that you would give. Well, I'll give you uh, this much uh, for, for uh, so much silver or so much gold. And as we look at here, notice what it's saying and what the, the problem is. Um, obviously, we look here, and we see in verse number 6, um, well, verse number 5, the end, uh, And him that sat on him had a pair of balances, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny. Now, this penny is not the same as our penny. Uh, if I had a penny, I don't have any change. But if I had a penny, we think, man, that's pretty worthless. But if you'll remember in Bible times, in the book of Matthew, chapter number 20, uh, chapter number 20, matter of fact, in verse 2, you can go back and read it later. But you'll remember that there were the parable of those laborers. And they were standing there, and, and they were standing uh, waiting to be hired. And, and the, the workman came by, and he said, hey, uh, come work for me, and I'll give you a penny for a day's wage. And they went, and they worked in the vineyard. They were content with that. And so we learned that the value of a penny is not the value of our penny that we would think of as something that's really rendered invaluable and worthless, but rather that's the, a day's wage in Bible times. And so uh, thinking with that idea and thinking with that thought, we understand and realize, well, that's quite a bit more weighty than just a simple penny that we may think of. Uh, and listen, it was worth a day's wage of food. And, and so he says there that uh, a measure of wheat for a penny. And so in other words, the inflation is going to go through the roof. 
And they're not going to have enough money to even cover, well, to barely cover. Hey, if you work an entire day, you'll be able to buy a measure of, of wheat. In other words, you'll be able to buy enough food for that day for yourself. Now, if you have a wife and you have kids and you're, you're providing for other people, man, you're going to really struggle. And, and, and what he's saying is that, listen, there's going to be a failure of the foods. There's going to be a failure of the money system. You remember, uh, and that's all associated with famine, and that's all associated with war. So you have that red horse coming through, and there's going to be all kinds of wars that take place. And as a result of those wars, a natural result of that is going to be famine. Uh, if these people are in wars and farm fields are destroyed and farmers are going out to war instead of attending to their fields, the next logical progression is, man, there's no food. If, if the farms aren't running, nobody's growing fruit, food or the crops have been destroyed by fires and, and, and battle and everything else, then there's going to be a serious shortage of food. I want you to, I was thinking about this, uh, I want you to kind of put yourself, praise the Lord, we're not going to be here. All right, thank the Lord for that. But put yourself in that mindset. What if all you could buy is food? That's all. You couldn't afford to pay your house payment. You couldn't, your cell phone, just throw that out because you're just done. Yeah, that's not, that does not even enter into the equation. And we're like, oh, how, how can I live without a cell phone? We're under, you understand this is, I mean, this is decimation. We, I, I was thinking, man, we really don't understand what hardship is in America. We really don't. Um, I mean, uh, I was even thinking of, of Ukraine and, and some of those places. Ever since everything has broke out there, I, I thought to myself, what would you do if you lived there? You get up and go to work? Wait a minute, what if your place was bombed? What if it was your city that they were attacking? You leave, and then what do you do? And, and where do you get your money? And how do you pay for food? And how do you take care of your family? And, and when you start to put yourself in that position, you say, man, that's a real problem. And the world is going to be decimated, and it's going to be problematic. There's going to be shortages of gasoline. There's going to be shortages of food. There's going to be shortage of finances. There's going to be shortages of all these things. And then famine is going to break out, and pestilence, and all of these other things, because there simply is not enough to go around. And so this black horse uh, really stands for uh, that famine. And, uh, and you could even see, the Bible talks about it. We talked about it a long time ago go in the adult Sunday school class, how Joseph, when they had famine, uh, man, they, they started selling everything they had just to buy food. And eventually the Bible said that money failed. In other words, the money didn't mean anything. We'll sell you all our land. We'll sell you ourselves so that you can, we'll be your slaves so that you can give us food because they did not have enough. And, and it's easy to see how things, boy, can really get turned upside down real quick. And, and, and what, a, what a horrible scene this is. Now, this is curious. In verse number 6, he says this at the very end, And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now, isn't that curious? So you have all this uh, wheat, is be, wheat, which is the most common food, is being sold a measure of wheat for a day's wage. And we see that uh, there's oil and that there's wine there. What is that about? And, and I, I don't know, but as I was looking at this, this made sense to me uh, that oil and wine kind of represents the elite 
And, and, and you'll notice that in, in especially many poor countries, if you've been outside of America and you've traveled to poor countries, you know this to be true. There, there's this thing that's called, uh, there is no middle class. You have the rich that are really rich, and you have the poor that are very poor, and you don't have anything in between. We struggle to wrap our heads around that because we can't fathom, we can't understand a society without a middle class because we live in the middle class. That's where we fall. And, and so we really have a hard time understanding this, but I think it has with it the idea that those who are in power and those who are in control are not going to be hurting for food. They'll make sure that they have. And uh, the, the powerful will become more powerful, and those who are, are not in that elite system are going to be uh, just down at the bottom with absolutely nothing. And their lives are going to be decimated. Look at me with verse number, uh, chapter number 6, verse number 7. And we go on to the next one. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I want you to notice that all four of those beasts have said, Come and see. And so these are, these are the four beasts that have said all of these things. And after that, it will change. But notice this, at least for these horses. But I want you to notice verse number 8. And I looked and beheld a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was death and hell followed with him. And the power, or excuse me, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Pale again would be, uh, we see black would be associated with famine and we see pale would be associated with uh, sickness and disease. We often say, well, you're looking kind of green. You're looking kind of pale. You're not looking so well. And, and so we kind of, in our minds, we can associate that. And we see that that's taking place here in verses 7 and 8 that... Uh, uh, First it was a, the white horse, there was peace, then the red horse, and there was war built around the whole earth, and then the black horse, and there was famine that came after that war, and, uh, and, and really inflation and a lack of everything. Then we have finally this pale horse uh, that is going to represent the, uh, the sickness and the disease that's going to come, and that the Bible is very clear here that death and hell followed him, and I want you to notice again, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth. Now I want you to think about this. Now I have no idea what the population at this time will be. We, there's no way we can really know. But I know that the earth's population today is roughly about 8 billion people. Now I can't even begin to fathom 8 billion people. And I'm sure that there, it'll be less during that time because of the wars, because of the famine, because of the rapture, uh, all of those things. Uh, and so I, I don't know what the population is going to be. And I'm not saying that it's 8 million but, or 8 billion, but just, just bear with me for a moment for numbers sake and imagine 8 billion people today that's on this earth. If a quarter of them were wiped out, I did the math beforehand so I wouldn't have to do it in front of you and embarrass myself. Two billion people would die. A quarter of the earth. That's a large amount of people. That's, that's more than the entire population of America. That's like America, wipe it off the map. Let's go to China, let's wipe it off the map. That's a billion in and of itself. 
Do you understand the impact that is going to take place in this world? It is going to be an absolute decimation. I'm sure the population will not be what we have today because of all the death that will occur before that. But just the fact that a quarter of what is left is going to be wiped out shows you this, that man, that's a horrible scene. Um, and the Bible is very clear that that is death and hell that followed after them. Uh, and it was given, they're, they're going to die with the sword. Perhaps they'll kill each other with hunger because there's no food. With death, that would probably be uh, maybe diseases or whatever. And with beasts of the earth. And can you imagine that, you know, if the whole world is disrupted and, uh, and, and there's really nowhere to go. Uh, hey, listen, that these animals are going to be kind of wild too. I mean, you've got to imagine all of this is going to affect the animal kingdoms and how they uh, roam around and attack, and it's going to upset the entire uh, way that the world functions, even in a natural setting. It's going to be a disaster. And so we can see that uh, at least for these first four horses and these first four seals, man, it's going to be a terrible thing. Uh, that's going to be unleashed. And these represent time periods that we'll go through and, uh, and, and they kind of cover and span the rapture uh, or the, excuse me, the great tribulation uh, and, and the things that will take place. And uh, we'll stop there with the seals and, and, under, and we'll, we'll pick them up next week and look at the others. But uh, those four were, were just kind of, they go together with the four horses and it changes. Uh, the next seals will be different. Uh, and, and even the way they're introduced, it's no longer the beast that is going to introduce them and say, hey, come and see, but it changes. Uh, but I want you to notice at least those four, and those are pretty easy to remember. You have the white horse, stands for peace. The red horse stands for war. The black horse stands for famine. And then that pale horse that would stand for disease and sickness and, and just people dying off in the face of the earth that are even a quarter of them. Uh, would die off. And, and just understand and thank the Lord, we're not going to be here. Praise the Lord. We don't have to be fearful of that. Um, and again, this is, this is us looking forward at, at things that are going to take place. And uh, again, I would remind us that we would understand that all of God's judgments are righteous judgments. Sometimes we look at things and we say, man, that's, that's harsh. Well, listen, it, what's really harsh is that Jesus Christ, the God of this universe, came to this world and he died on the cross and allowed men to beat him, to pluck out his beard, to nail him to the cross and give his life so that you and I can be saved. That's pretty harsh. And listen, the judgment of God is righteous judgment. I'd remind us of that as we look look at all of these things that are going to take place and how the, uh, just the world uh, is going to be turned upside down. And I say, man, I say again, praise the Lord, I am glad we are not going to be here. Uh, makes you look forward even more to the rapture saying, hey, I, I'm out of here. Um, and I look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, not where he comes to this earth, but he comes in the clouds and, uh, and the trumpet sounds and man, we're out of here. Praise the Lord. We can, we can certainly glory in that. And so uh, I hope and pray that that's a help to you. It's not a, a message of uh, per se, but more of a teaching as we try and go through this book of Revelation. Try and understand uh, the things that are going on. And I hope and pray uh, that that is a help to you. Let's stand to our feet. Their heads bowed and our eyes closed. And always always like to have an invitation. 
Maybe God spoke to you through something. Every time the Word of God is opened, there's a possibility of Him speaking to hearts and moving. And, and maybe there's somebody here that, that realizes and understands, wow, I'm lost. And I don't know the Lord. And I don't want to go through that. And I, I want to be saved. And I want to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Hey, tonight it would be a great night to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that as we think about future events, I pray that you'd help us to be concerned for the lost people that are around us every day. God, I pray that you'd give us a burden, that we would desire to reach them, see them saved. And God, that they would not have to go through these terrible events that are going to take place. God, I pray that you would use us. And God, again, I thank you. Thank you, God, for our salvation. God, I I pray that you would, uh, again, speak to hearts, encourage, help, strengthen us in our faith. God, will thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed,